Amen. Romans chapter 10. We're going to wrap that up this morning. We started, you know, back in Romans chapter 9, started kind of a parenthetical portion of the book of Romans that deals with the Jewish people and the, and the, the nation of Israel. And chapter 9 was about how that God rejected the nation of Israel as a nation, as a whole. And this chapter, chapter 10, has been about the individual Jew and how that they have rejected God themselves. And so the conclusion of this chapter is that the Jews have had every opportunity to know Jesus Christ. They had every chance to come into the faith, to believe in Jesus Christ. And still they have rejected God. Now last week we detailed the process by which people encounter the gospel. And we said that a preacher first first a preacher has to be sent. Amen. Somebody has to go to declare the word. Secondly, that preacher must preach. They've got to declare the word of truth. And then thirdly, an unbeliever must hear that word as it is preached. And having heard it, then they must choose to believe in him of whom they have heard. And then having believed, they must call upon the Lord. Amen. And so in the final passage of chapter 10, and there are only four verses left, and I don't anticipate being really lengthy this morning. I'm going to try to get all the meat off this bone as I, that I can. But it's just four verses. There are four quotes from the Old Testament. But in this final passage of chapter 10, Paul seizes on hearing as the pivotal step in the process of salvation. A person cannot believe until they have heard. But if they hear and they refuse to believe, then it is their fault that they're not saved. Not God's or anyone else's fault. It's their fault. Amen? And the Jews, Paul is making the point, the Jews have been given the opportunity to hear. The impetus rests on them to believe. It's squarely on their shoulders whether or not they will believe. There will be nobody else to blame. And to, and to make that point and to finish off this chapter that has been all about that point, Paul quotes from the Old Testament four times, beginning in verse 18, it says, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the earth. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are, not, that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So backing up to verse 18, the very first verse of this passage, and it says, But I say, had they not heard, Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. So Paul starts his final passage with a pivotal question, have they not heard? In other words, is there any excuse 
for the unbelief of the Jews? Have they perhaps been excluded from the opportunity to hear? Have they been excluded from the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is there, is there some reason why that the majority of the Jewish nation has refused to accept Jesus Christ? And, and even as he asked the question, it is a rhetorical question because Paul already knows the answer. The gospel has been preached to the Jews all over the world, but they have rejected it. Paul knows from his own missionary journey that everywhere that he went to preach, he always went first to the Jewish synagogues to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He always went first to where the Jews were, his kinsmen, his his brethren after the flesh, and he has reached to them first and told them first the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul knew from personal experience that the vast majority of the Jews had been given the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that the majority of them had rejected the gospel. The problem is not that they've never heard, they have heard, and that's the first thing Paul says, yes, yes, they, they have heard, but they have refused to believe. To establish that point, that the gospel has been preached throughout the world, Paul references Psalm 19 and verse 4, which in the Greek translation that Paul would have read says this. It says, their sound has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The main point is that the Jews have indeed had the chance to hear. Paul can testify from personal knowledge that the gospel has been preached to them, that they have had the chance to receive the gospel, that the whole world, the Jews everywhere, have had the chance to hear the gospel preached. And so he uses this verse out of Psalms to make that generalized statement that the word of God, the gospel has gone over the whole world, even to the ends of the world, it's been preached. They've had the chance. Now, does that mean that every single Jew alive at the time of this writing had heard the gospel? Not necessarily. Paul is not saying that every single Jew that ever lived has had, has had the gospel preached to them. But he's saying is that in general terms, the gospel has been preached. It's been preached everywhere. It's been noised abroad, far and wide. They've had the chance to hear the gospel. And he's dealing with a problem that is expressed in, in general terms. The Jews, by and large, have rejected Jesus Christ. That does not mean that every Jew has rejected Jesus Christ because Paul himself did not reject Jesus Christ. He has accepted the gospel of Jesus. There are others just like him. So it's not an exclusive statement that this means that every single Jew that ever lived had the word preached them. Every single Jew that ever lived didn't reject Jesus Christ either. But this is a statement of generality that all over the world they've had the chance. All over the world, it has been preached. Paul has gone himself, and others have gone like him, and they have preached to uh, the Jews and have preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the mass of the Jews, the majority of the Jews, have, have not believed. They have rejected the gospel that was preached to them. And their rejection cannot be blamed on ignorance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It cannot be blamed on the idea that nobody 
went and preached it to them. They cannot be said that they've not heard the gospel preached. They have heard it preached, but they have rejected it. In verse 19, he says, But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. So now Paul asks a different but related question. Instead of asking if they haven't heard, he now asks if perhaps they didn't understand. That's what he means by did Israel not know? Or is it the thing that maybe they heard it, but they just didn't understand, Brother Anderson, what they heard? So to answer that question, Paul turns again to Scripture and we'll conclude this chapter with three successive quotes from the Old Testament that are an answer to that question. Each quote provides the answer to whether or not Israel as a nation knew, whether or not they understood, whether or not they had access to the scriptures that told them exactly what God was going to do. So he starts with Deuteronomy chapter 32. In verse 21, he quotes Moses there as saying, and I'm going to read the quote from the Old Testament, saying, They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Now, in quoting that loosely from the Greek translation of that, this is the way Paul quoted it. I will, in quoting just the latter half, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. Now that passage was originally directed at the idolatry of the Jews. They rejected the one true God in favor of idols. They, they took that which was not a God and they worshiped it as if it was God. And by so doing, they provoked God to jealousy. Amen. The one true God, the God who delivered them from Egypt, the God who had provided for them, the God who had watched over them and taken care of them and shown and demonstrated his incredible power to them. They rejected him and instead they chose to worship idols. God's made of a men's hands. God's with lowercase g's. Amen. Made with men's hands that were formed by men. Made and fashioned after the, the likeness of animals or, or other kinds of creation or, or men themselves. And they have worshipped that which was not a God at all. That had ears that couldn't hear. That had hands that couldn't touch. That had feet that couldn't move. That had a mouth that could not speak. That, that could not bless them. They worshipped that instead and so God promised them he said I'm going to do the equivalent to you he said I will move you to jealousy by embracing a people who are not a people at all and I'll provoke you to anger with a foolish nation the words of that passage are the promise by God that he'll turn to the Gentiles a people who are not a people they were not his covenant people. They, didn't, they weren't in covenant with God. But I'm going to show them my goodness. I'm going to show them my blessings. I'm going to show them all the wonders of, of the glory of God. And I'm going to provoke you to jealousy because of it. That passage was coming to pass, was becoming a reality in Paul's day. 
the gospel was being preached throughout the world. And even as the Jews were rejecting it, even as they were turning their back on Jesus Christ, the Gentiles were receiving it. And God was pouring out his spirit on the Gentiles, even as he rejected the Jews. He was filling those folks with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They were experiencing the glory of God. The point of the prophecy in Deuteronomy was that God's favor on the Gentiles, those people who were not a people, that was supposed to stir the Jews to jealousy and cause them to realize what they were missing out on. In other words, even, even now, even as God is pouring out his blessings on the Gentiles, his purpose is not to drive the Jews away. His purpose is to cause the Jews to repent and turn back to Him. The overall point is not that God is rejecting the Jews, but that the Jews are rejecting God. Amen. As He pours out His Spirit on all flesh, it's not to exclude the Jews, but it's to cause them to realize uh, we're missing out on the, the very promise of the ages. This is the fulfillment of everything the Scripture said, and we're missing out on it, and we need to correct our ways, and we need to come back and worship the one true God. And they should have been able to see from their own scriptures that the salvation of the Gentiles was the evidence that God was at work in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They should have recognized what was unfolding before their very eyes. So Paul says they can't claim ignorance. This scripture it's right there. From the, this is Deuteronomy. This is the book of Moses. This is the book of the law. This is going all the way back to the very... They've had this for centuries. They can't say we didn't know because it's right there. Then he goes on and quotes another prophet, the prophet Isaiah in verse 20. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Now, Paul's quoting here from Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 1. I'm going to read it from the Old Testament. It says, I am sought of them that asked not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. So Isaiah goes a step further than Moses did in Deuteronomy. He declares that God will turn to the Gentile people and bless them even though they were not his covenant people. Even though they were not called by his name, they did not originally seek him. They didn't even know to seek him. They were pagans who sought after pagan gods. They, they followed after false religions. They're the ones who, who had the idols in the first place. Uh, but God said, I'm going to reveal myself to them. They're not seeking me, but they're going to find me. Paul's point here is twofold. First of all, the Jews had access to these scriptures, and they should have been struck by the fact that these words that, that, that are written in the scripture precisely described exactly what was happening before their very own eyes. It should have caused them to stop and reconsider the gospel of Jesus Christ to realize that a people who didn't seek God traditionally throughout their heritage, they didn't know God, they didn't even know to seek Him, had found Him. That should have caused them to stop and understand the, the seriousness of what was transpiring around them. Beyond that point, though, 
there is the point that if the Gentiles who had no special understanding of Scripture, they didn't have, Jesus would say to the Jews, search the Scriptures. They testify of me. The Jews had, they had the advantage. They had the Scriptures that testified of Jesus Christ. The Gentiles didn't have that. They didn't have any, any heritage, any history, or any tradition that testified of Jesus Christ. They didn't have the Scripture to turn to that, that declared to them what was going to happen. And the point is that those who had no special understanding of Scripture, they weren't entrusted with the Word of God. If they could understand and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Word that was preached to them, that's all they had. All they had was the word of the preacher that preached to them. Then surely the Jews who have the, the long history with scriptures, who have been entrusted with the word of God, who have an understanding of the word of God, surely they should have been able to understand and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ when it was preached to them because they had the advantage. The, the disciples didn't come and preach a new message. Peter said, precept upon precept, word upon word. This is built on the word of God. Paul wasn't preaching from some. He didn't even have the New Testament to preach from. He's preaching from the Jewish scriptures. He's preaching from the Old Testament that testifies of Jesus Christ. And these Gentiles, they don't even have that. They don't have that background. They don't have that foundation. But they can hear the gospel preached and receive it. How much more should the Jews have been able to hear the gospel preached and receive it? Now this verse harkens back to Romans chapter 9 and verse 30. If you'll remember, we talked about the exact same thing then. It was declared to us that the Gentiles who were not seeking righteousness found righteousness. They, they, weren't, even, they weren't even in pursuit of God and they found God. While the Jews who were seeking after righteousness, who were seeking after God, somehow missed it altogether. They missed him. They were looking for the Messiah. The Gentiles weren't looking for the Messiah. They weren't looking for Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. The Jews were. They missed him. But the Gentiles found him. God has been found by those who were not even seeking him, by those who were, 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 had not even aware that it was coming, but those who were supposed to be seeking him have failed to find him even though he revealed himself to them in his own word. And finally, verse 21, But to Israel he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hand to a disobedient and gainsaying people. So the final quote is from the very next verse of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 2. It says in the Old Testament, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walked in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. God has been very patient with Israel, even though they have been a rebellious and disobedient people. He has stretched out his hands to them, offering them a chance to be full, pulled free from the muck and the mire of sin that they have willingly walked into. They have turned their back on God and by their own will, by their own 
judgment. They have walked in a way that was not good. They followed after their own thoughts. And even as they've walked away from God and followed after their own thoughts, God has been there all along with his hands stretched out to that rebellious people. Again, Paul's point is, is that God has not indiscriminately rejected the Jews. He's been patient. He's been long-suffering. He is even now prepared to save them from their sins. Israel, on the other hand, in spite of God's abundant mercy, in spite of God's patience and long-suffering, they have rejected him. Though he has reached to him, though he has reached to them, though he has reached out his hands to try to, try to pull them free, they have rejected his invitation to be lifted out of the miry clay and to be established on the rock forever. And instead, they've chosen to follow after their own thoughts like a rebellious child, they have determined that they will continue to walk in a way that was not good, in a way that was not righteous, in a way that was not holy and godly, that they would pursue their own will no matter what it will cost them in the end. And then in that rejection, they illustrate how they got to where they are in the first place. The Jews have fallen from the grace of God because they did not possess the kind of faith that results in obedience. No doubt, on some level, they believed that there was a God. No doubt, on some level, they believed that God was real. They had some degree of faith that, that there was a God and that he was real, but they didn't believe him enough to obey him. They didn't believe him enough to act on what he said. They didn't believe him enough to act on his word, which underscores the point. That faith without obedience is not really faith at all. That's why James would say faith without works is dead. It can't be faith if it doesn't have genuine obedience. To believe is to obey. So that's how chapter 10 wraps up. Israel's lost condition is not God's fault. It's not due to some unfaithfulness on God's part. And you remember we started this discussion with that question. Is this because God's unfaithful to the Jewish people? That's where we started way back at the beginning of this discussion. God has been both patient and long-suffering. But the Jews have rejected him. At every turn, they have turned their back on the grace of God. And in the end, the Jews that are lost will have to face the fact that they got there by their own hands. They will not be able to blame God or anyone else. They rejected God even while God was reaching to them. That's Paul's point. A chapter ago, in chapter 9, we were talking about the nation of Israel as a whole. And we talked about how God had predetermined that that nation would be rejected. And we talked about how that some have built those passages of Scripture into a doctrine that they call unconditional election, which essentially says that you have no choice in the matter whether or not you're saved. God has predetermined before you were ever born whether or not you're elected to be a part of the church, and you don't have any choice whether you'll be saved or not. That's built on a faulty understanding of chapter 9 that this sees chapter 9 is dealing with individuality instead of nationality. Remember, we talked a lot about that when we were in chapter 9, how God was dealing with the Jews as a 
nation. He rejected the nation and instead turned to the Gentile people. But in chapter 10, Paul deals with the individual. He deals with how individual Jews, not the nation as a whole, but individual Jews have rejected Jesus Christ. And he reaches the conclusion that the fall of the Jews was not God's fault. It's not because God elected that they would not be saved. It is their own fault. They have rejected God. Chapter 10 lays the blame firmly at the feet of the individual who has chosen after hearing the gospel not to believe the gospel. It lays the blame firmly at the fault of the individual who rejects God. This is not something that was individually predetermined by God. God did not choose to condemn certain people before they were ever born. He didn't just decide that, well, you missed out on the lottery of election and now you're going to be lost for all of eternity. They decided to reject his grace. They decided to reject his mercy. They decided to turn their back on him. They rejected God. That's the point of chapter 10. And Paul has established the fact that the Jews are responsible for their own fate. They have determined their own course. No lost Jew, indeed no man ever, will stand in the presence of God and say, this isn't my fault. I'm lost, God, because you decided I'd be lost. Nobody will ever stand in God's presence and say that. Every man, woman, and child who ever stands before the judgment of God, not a single one of them will say, I don't deserve God's judgment. Every lost sinner will recognize and confess that God is good, that his judgment is good, that they got where they are by their own hand, that they rejected God, not that God rejected them. That's the point. Of chapter 10. And chapter 10 ends on a no note of, of judgment. It ends with guilt and condemnation. It ends with the fact that the, the Jewish people are responsible for rebellion against God. But even in that kind of an ending, Paul ends the chapter with the image God who constantly stands with welcome arms outstretched towards rebellious sinners all the day long, he said. I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people all the day long indicates that God's persistence and his patience with sinners that never runs out amen he's in his in his patience all day long all of the time he has his hand stretched out to those that are lost and stretched out hands describe a, a gesture of invitation as God pleads with sinners calling them to repent uh, imploring them to return to him it's an appeal uh, an invitation it's a gesture calling them to, to that are separated from him that are that are distant and away from him 
him, to come back into fellowship with him. The image that we see of God at, at the end of chapter 10 as we pronounce the fact that, that judgment will come to the Jews because they rejected Jesus Christ. We don't see God as judge. We don't see God with, a, with the robes on, the gavel in his hand, condemning them to hell. We see God with his arms outstretched uh, in mercy and grace, even reaching for them, even as they are rejecting him, even as they are walking away from him. We find God that he, in a place where he never stops reaching out to those that are lost. He's always there, all the day long, persistently and patiently calling to those that are separated from him. Perhaps the worst part of hell will be the memory of a loving Savior who never gave up, who never quit, who never backed up. Perhaps the thing that will haunt the lost the most will be the image of God with outstretched arms pleading with us to change our direction before it becomes too late. This morning, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how far from the grace of God you may find yourself, I can tell you this morning that he is right there with his arms stretched out, reaching to you with love and compassion, pleading with you. No matter whether you've drifted just an inch or a mile, no matter whether your, your walk with God is just turning away towards the pursuit of other things or you've you're so distant from him, you don't even remember what it is to be in love with him. Whatever it is, I can promise you the hand of God is reaching out this morning, pleading with you to hear his voice, to come back to him, to draw closer to him, to get near to him again, to lay down your burdens, to cast your cares upon him, to run to the safety of the cross before it's too late because that's what kind of God he is. He's not standing in judgment. He's standing in mercy and grace, and he's begging. Would you come back? I want you to know this morning as we come to the conclusion, if you stand with me, we serve a God who will never give up. We serve a God who will never, ever give up. Long after you've walked away from him, long after you've given up on him, Long after your heart has grown cold towards him, long after your feelings and emotions have become so jaded that you are indifferent to the cry of God, you will find him all the way to the end of life's dusty road reaching out to you and calling to you. Would you come back home? Would you come back to fellowship with me? You see the Jews rejecting him over and over and over again. They turned their back on him over and over and over again. But the image of God that Paul projects at the end of the chapter is a God who is always there with outstretched arms calling. Would you come back? Would you come back? So that's the reason why no Jew will ever say, I got here because God rejected me. Because until you take your last breath, he's not going to reject you. It's because until you draw your last breath, until the end of your days, he will always be there with outstretched arms calling you. Come back home. Come back to me.
I feel the grace of God flow into this house on a Sunday morning. There's an invitation going forth from the throne of God. Why don't you get a little closer to me? Why don't you turn your back on some things? Why don't you walk away from some things? Why don't you come back to that closeness you once knew with me? Why don't you come back to that relationship you once had with me? Why don't you surrender again to the grace of God? So rich and real in this place right now. Why don't you lift up your eyes from your current situation and see him standing with outstretched arms in all of his love and mercy calling you. Come home. Come back. Turn your heart back to Him. Right now, these altars are open. I'm calling this church to a place of prayer. Would you find a place this morning? Would you turn your heart towards heaven? Would you tell Him, Lord, I see you. I hear your voice. Forgive my rebellious heart. Forgive my lukewarm and cold heart. Wash me again in your blood. Cleanse me again in your righteousness. Bring me back, Lord, into fellowship with you. Bring me back, Lord, into relationship with you. Bring me back, Lord. Bring me back.